0: Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. If you have your Bibles with you, let's flip open to Psalm 23. Nice and easy, Psalm 23. We're just going to be looking at the first three verses of Psalm 23. Um, But before that, I just want to, I know know we've prayed already, but I want to just pray for us in particular as we unpack Scripture and look at what God has for us today. Um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for um, just uh, your amazing glory. Um, Thank you for your character. Thank you for your word. Um, I pray that today as we unpack your word that we um, hear directly from you. Uh, that uh, my ideas not be here, but whatever I say is actually what you say, Lord Father. I pray that, um, that you hide me behind your hand and that um, I, can, I can't do any of this. Only you can, Lord. I'm just the motivator, but you are the one who does works. I pray that um, you do something in us as we hear your word tonight, and um, I just pray that we be uh, effectual uh, doers of the word and then just not hearers. Let's just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet. Um, I'm really honoured and privileged to be wrapping up our five-week series on the five solos of the Reformation. Um, So if you haven't been here for the last five weeks, We've been going through uh, the five solas, which is, firstly, uh, sola scriptura, which means uh, the sufficiency and the inerrancy of scripture, uh, sola gratia, which is salvation is by grace alone, uh, sola fide, which is salvation by faith, through faith alone, Solus Christus, salvation in Christ alone, and tonight we're going to be looking at this thing called sola dio gloria, glory to God alone. But before we look at this particular topic, I just want to d- digress for a bit and talk a bit about the tennis. Is anyone watching the Australian Open tonight? Please tell me someone's watching. Yes, we have a few in the house. Any team Nadal? Anyone's team Nadal? Yes, we have one, two. Anyone else? No one's team? All right, everyone's team Fedder, right? If- Team Federer, we got a few Team Federers. That's all right. I think Nadal's going to win, because if you look at like the head-to-heads, Nadal's got it in the bag, Like just just, just saying. Having said that, though, <laughs> not biased at all. I'm a Djokovic man, but... Um, Nadal, if you look at him, he's 30 years old. He's getting on a little bit in terms of um, the tennis age thing. Um, he's won 14 singles, Grand Slams titles. He's won $78 million US prize money, and he spent 141 weeks at the number one position. Feder, on the other hand, he's 35, a little bit of the older statesman, he's, 18, he's done 18 Grand Slam titles, he's won $99 million US prize money and spent 302 weeks at the number one position. 230, 237 of those weeks were consecutive. So for four years in a row, this guy was the number one player at the time. And so tonight's game, uh, the Australian Open, is one for the ages, because it's probably the last time you'll ever see Nadal and Federer play at a Grand Slam final. You might see them in exhibition matches and stuff, but this is for tennis glory. Right? Tennis glory. And we think about like glory and it's like this, it's, we're not quite sure what the word glory means. It's kind of like this abstract idea. It's like, oh, does he mean like they're going to be honored and remembered for like forever or what, what does that even mean? And I feel like when it comes to church and it comes to this idea of the glory of God, it's, Kind of airy fairy abstract. Yeah, we, we talk about the glory of God. It's something in the Bible, right? It's it's there in the scripture, but we kind of just kind of skip over the details and really not spend time and focus on and what it actually means. Um, so, what does it actually mean? Does it actually mean to be remembered like Federer and Nadal, or does it mean something more? And I think the other thing with glory to God and this particular subject. Is that um, we want to not talk about this and talk about something else? We want to talk about how much God loves us, right? Because you know, if you talk to a Christian, who is God? God is love. God is love. God is love. Tell me more about God is love. We want to just keep hearing about God is love. We don't want to hear about the glory of God. We want to hear God is love, right? But I think that leads us in two. That gives us two problems, you see, because if we keep on talking about God is love and we just keep saying God is love, God is love, God is love, the rhetoric slowly becomes love me, love me, love me. And before you know it, God is love is actually not about you at all, not about God at all, but it's actually about me, 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 told me about me. Right? And that's a problem because like, um, when I think God is love, I'm, I'm sometimes hesitant, like, I'm personally sometimes hesitant to say God is love to people in public because when they say God is love, God is life, it's like, what, what do you mean? Like pizza is love, pizza is life, right? Coffee is love, coffee is life. We, we take this idea that God is love and we don't really, we don't really take it seriously. We kinda, When you think about it, we kind of trivialise it a little bit. Maybe some of us more, some of us less, but um, we don't really consider God as love seriously. And I think also, um, that's part of the problem, but that leads on to the second problem, because um, when we talk about God as love, um, we focus on us, and that's not at all. God as love, the, the first word, God, that is the whole point of the sentence, Right? That's the subject. That's why we want to talk about this God. God is the reason. right? And I'm not saying that God doesn't love you. God absolutely does love you. He is fiercely for you. He is all for you. Right? But the reason, I, and I want to unpack this in Scripture today, is the reason why He loves us is because of His glory. Right? The reason why God wants to love us, the reason why God loves me, you, It's because of his love for himself. And as a Christian, we kind of think, like, that doesn't sound awfully right. Right? It doesn't, because we're so used to, we've been conditioned to think about God as love is just about me and not about him. But let's break it down. Let's open up uh, Psalm 23. I'll read the first three verses for us. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV. Uh, Here we go. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now this is a classic kind of Christian text. If you've been in church at all, you probably have like a pen or a coffee cup with like the first verse written on it. God, um, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's great. Like it says, he's a shepherd, a sheep herder. It, if you look at, if you take the context of that, um, shepherds, what do they do? They protect the herd. They look after the herd. They they actually sleep with the sheep as well. Like they, that's how that's how much they they they're attached to these sheep, and that's great because God is like that. God is our shepherd, right? And I shall not want. That's a beautiful verse because if the Lord is my shepherd, and I don't need anything else, I don't. I don't want anything. Else. I shall not want anything else because all my needs are found in my shepherd. Verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside still waters. Again, reinforcing that idea of um, he provides for my needs. He knows what I. He knows I need water. I need food. I need community to survive. He knows my needs, and He provides them for me. Um, He gives my soul rest, and He leads me in paths of righteousness. He is my guide. He takes me along wherever I need to go. He directs where I go. But the kicker is at the end of verse 3, when it says the reason why He does all of this is for what? It's because of His name's sake. God is about himself. He is in the business of himself. It sounds a bit narcissistic, but I want you to journey with me for a little, with this a little bit. God is about himself. He's about his glory. He is about his name. He's about his reputation. He's about his renown, his majesty, his fame. He is about extolling his excellencies across the universe. And this flies in the face of culture, Right? Because culture tells you it's all about you. It's be the best you can be. You, you're you the best. You don't need to listen to anyone. It's all about you. Right? It flies in the face of culture, it fly, and it flies in the face of evangelicalism and a lot of Christianity, I would say, because um, a lot in churches now, it's all about like, self-empowerment or self-actualization or what can I get out of church? How is this going to help me with my daily life? But the reason um, and it flies in the, and it flies in the face of our me centeredness, like how many times have we posted something on Instagram, like how I want to do this at this particular time frame because four and five is when everyone goes onto instagram, and that 's how that's, i know i 'm going to get stacks of likes of this, and then what you do is you go into Google, you type in that subject like hashtag like just all those things, and then you find a whole list of hashtags to add onto your posts, so you can drive those likes. So you can drive that social media page. Don't, don't lie, I know you do it. So I do it as well. I'm I'm being serious. Like if I'm going to be real here, I do this as well. I'm absolutely guilty of this, and we are uncomfortable with the idea that God is for us because of Himself, because it's not a. If we feel like it's not about me, it's about Him. But that's exactly true. The end goal of God. Is the declaration of his glory, right? God, and this is great news for the Christian because God glorifying himself—that is intrinsically linked with his love for you, right? If he wasn't for himself, we would actually be pretty stuffed. We would be done. And know why? Because if God, if God wasn't for himself when he loved you, let's be real here—it's kind of, like, We're not lovable people, right? We're not very. Uh, you might be thinking, "Ouch, that really hurts, man." You might not be lovable, but look at me. I'm just amazing, right? So, of course, love it. No, we are very difficult to love. Um, I want an example. When I was reading up Solo de Gloria, as in like the the um, the doctrine itself, well, one of the first hits I came up was this guy named um, Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, he's a baroque composer. Anthony might be able to tell me when that is, but, um, but uh, apparently this guy, uh, when he wrote his compositions, he wrote SDG for uh, Glory to God Alone at the end of his compositions. right? And if you look at just music in general today, it doesn't have much of that at all. It doesn't have much of that at all, because um, let's say, for example, uh, if you know me at all, I'm a massive fan of DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled is—he's just—he's just—he's just just memes upon memes upon memes. That's what he is. Um, like he—he this 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 guy's great. If you I just add him on your Snapchat, please. What it's good entertainment because when when he when he does music videos, he always it's always about another one, another one. We the best, right? We the best. He 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 talks he talks himself up so much to the point it's actually it's actually really like it's so cringy that it's it's. It's just good for the soul, man. <laughs> that's just how good it is. Um, I pulled a, a Snapchat from him last night on, his, on a story, and he's exercising, and he's puffed out at the end. He's like, that's, just not, that's not puffing, man. That's, that's breathing greatness right there. <laughs> True story. That was in a Snapchat story less than 24 hours ago. What's this guy? Um, but, to, but DJ Khaled's a bit of a joke, to be honest. Um... Let's talk more. Let's talk more serious in terms of hip hop. Let's talk Jay Z. Jay Z is um, like, if you ever hear him, and if he says, "It's your boy Hova," that that means Hova is. He's trying to say, he's saying for short, "I am Jehovah, I am God." That's what Jay Z saying when he's when he's doing his music and, and he and he says that. Um, when he says he's hover, he's claiming to be God, and let's not even talk about Kanye, for example. <laughs> Kanye, what do it? It's like Yeezy, right? Ye- for like t- 2013, Jesus, Jesus was okay. I didn't mind it, but like Yeezy, Jesus, Jesus, he's he's calling him himself God. There's a song in that t- in that album called "I Am a God." <laughs> right? That's nuts because, and we look at these examples in culture, and we think like. Nah, I'm not like these guys. Tran, you you just be acting a fool, of thinking that no, I'm like this fool. And I'm like, nah. The fact that you think Kanye is a fool and you're not a fool makes you exactly like Kanye. Congratulations, you just played yourself. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Well, we think about this, for example. Um, if God, in the beginning, there's this is Godhead perfect, and He's infinitely perfect, and He's holy, and He creates humankind, and were made in his image as an overflow of his glory to reflect his glory. Not because he needed us, He just it was an overflow of his glory. right? But we think, yeah, nah, good thanks, I don't, I don't want to reflect your glory, mate. I want my own glory, which, by the way, is nowhere near in comparison to the glory of God. And we put our own glory in the position in our hearts where God's glory should be. You know, um, and it's weird because God is, inf- he is of infinite worth, infinite value, infinite holiness, and we're not. But we, yet we put ourselves in that position in our hearts. And we have the audacity to say that we're not lovable. Right? And the scary thing is, God doesn't need you. If you think about this through, God doesn't actually need you. We we think that in Christianity, there's this this unfounded thing in Scripture um, where we say, oh, in the beginning God was lonely and he wanted companionship and that's why he made us. It sounds cutesy and it sounds great, but it's heretical. God doesn't need you. In the beginning, he had himself. If he needed something, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't, like... The, you're looking... If God really needed you, he wouldn't be God because God is is meant to be complete and holy and perfect, and we're not. And some of us think, oh, but God, if with this doctrine... Glory to God. God is just after my worship like a pagan God who just lives on worship. He just thrives on that, right? Not really. God doesn't need your worship either. Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims His handiwork. Have you looked through the Hubble telescope? Have you tried to comprehend the enormity of the cosmos? God doesn't need your worship. The universe screams of His glory. And if you think like your your, vo- like, your vocal skills were singing, they sound like Mariah Carey on a good day. Like you're, that that's really shameful because one you're not Mariah Carey, and two like it, the, your voice compared to the glory of the universe, it doesn't compare. It just doesn't, right? Not to mention like for us guys like myself who when we try to do that Justin Timberlake thing and we try to hit that high note and we kind of go like, eh, like that like that for a second. <laughs> Like you really think that? I kind of look at that, and sometimes I sing, I'm like, "Yeah, that's cool," but like, I kind of like squirm a little bit because, like, am I worshiping God, or is that like offensive to Him? Like, <laughs> yeah, God doesn't need us. We give Him absolutely no reason to want us, no, to, to to need us at all. But that's the thing; He wants us, not because of us, but because of who He is. Because of his glorious, perfect character. God says, uh, God saves us not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. And who is he? He is infinitely holy, which really means that he's unique from anything, right? No one is like him. He is separate from us. The laws of economics say the rarer something is, the more expensive it is. God, God is in a class of himself. You, nothing compares to the glory of God. Zero, zilch, naught, nada, nothing. John Piper puts it like this. The glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. That is, it is the infinite worth of God made manifest. God's glory is the outward radiance of the intrinsic beauty and greatness of his manifolds, manifold perfections. And he goes on to explain manifold projections, uh, perfections being Manifest, the manifestation of his character and his worth and his attributes. All of his perfections and greatness are beautiful as they are seen and there are many of them. His power, his might and his grace. Let's look at Ephesians 1, to 3-6. In love he predestined, predestined us For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Why does God save us? He saves us because of, he wants the praise of his glorious grace, his manifold projection, no, perfection. He saves us for his name's sake. He saves us for his glory's sake. If you, um, another one, Isaiah 43, we won't have enough time to go through this, but if you have time for yourself, write this down, Isaiah 43, um, and read for yourself. Uh, Not enough time to get into that, but um, he says, uh, I will bring my sons afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Later in Isaiah 43, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God forgives, God saves, and God brings his people together. Why? He does it for his name's sake ephesians 2 8 to 3 for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast we can't even boast in the faith that we've been given god alone can save god alone saves god alone will continue to save his people so that him and only him alone can be glorified that is great news that is fantastic news. And since God is after the praise of his glorious name, we can be rest assured that the intensity that which he loves us, right? the way that God loves you, the ferocity that he loves you, how much he pursues you is well beyond what you can even begin to imagine. The most loving thing that God that can be given is, has to have the most value. Nothing has more value than God himself. And God has given us himself in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God and God alone deserves glory for that. Now, if you've been following us, I just want to just think about this for a sec. If you've been following us here, if you've been a Christian for a while, like, yeah, I know that. God's, um, we get that's the that's the problem that we get familiar with with God's love, but we don't we forget about how much He has gone to love us. He's done so much to love on us. Um, and sometimes when we think about how much God pursues us, we get a little bit disheartened because, like, yeah, I know God loves me. I know God loves me. Um, I know that he's saved and called and loved me and, um, and called me to holiness, but sometimes like he does all that stuff and I'm still a mess. I've been doing this Christian thing for like 20-something years and I know that God loves me and I'm, I'm, I'm still a mess. I, don't, I know he's called me to all this stuff, but I feel kind of bad. Does, does anyone else feel like this as well? Like we kind of guilt trip ourselves a little. Like God has He's loved me so much, and yet I still do that habitual sin that I've been struggling on with for five, six, eight, ten, whatever years. Whether it be pathological lying or something much more sinister than that, it's um, it's sometimes like um, the, the Christian life is kind of like Hagrid. It's like I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. And it, it's kind of cute to start off with, but then it actually gets—it's not funny anymore. We 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 feel this guilt, but luckily God's love for us is not dependent on who we are. It's dependent on who He is, right? It's dependent on who He is. And as um, as broken vessels as as image bearers of God, as reflectors of God's glory, God cannot stand us being broken. Right? But that's good news because it's not up to us to fix it. God will fix it. Right? God fixes our brokenness. Um, we think that after we get saved and um, God is... Um, yeah, he loves on us, and we think that's okay. We're saved now. That's it. He's done his bit. Now it's my bit. It's um, kind of a backwards way of thinking it about it, because like God is after your holiness. He's after your perfection. But even if God gave you, took you to like 99% of the way, that last 1%, you you couldn't do it yourself. There's no way in in heck you could do it yourself. <laughs> we we know that. Like. Um, like Paul, Paul identifies with this. He's like, for I do not understand my actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. The, the The Christian life is this battle. The Christian life is this this battle of fighting our own flesh. And we think it's it's our doing, but the good news is not God doesn't just only save for His glory's sake, but He also restores and redeems for His glory's sake. Yeah. Um, God is restoring us to perfection. Let's uh, Philippians 1. Um, he who began a good work in you will, be, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12 calls Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. God alone saves, he restores, he redeems. He alone deserves the glory for our sanctification. Our, us, him making us more like the image of Christ. That is a work he does, not a work we do. But we get fall into this trap that we need to do it ourselves. It's yeah, you might struggle, but the only reason why you you're able to struggle is because God's given you the ability to struggle. Otherwise you'd just be headed in the opposite direction. Yeah. Ephesians one thirteen and fourteen. In him you also you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. We're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is guaranteed of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What, was talking, what Paul was talking about here in Ephesians, God gives us a spirit and as a seal. A seal, what does that say? He's got you, fam. Like You he, he, he belong to him. Right? He will make you holy because he cannot stand you not being holy. Right? It's not up to you. It's up to him, uh, and that because it's up to him, all praise and glory to him, only him. And you can count on God fixing you because God is. You can count on God glorifying Himself through that. God is after the praise of His glorious name. Um, Philippians one uh, nine and eleven as well. It is my prayer that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. I want to say that again. Filled with you it is my prayer that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Paul recognizes that righteousness is something that we cannot achieve and we cannot attain. Right? Paul says that all the righteousness that we have is a foreign righteousness and does not belong to us. It is given to us freely and God, can, and God sanctifies us. It comes directly from God and therefore all praise and glory to God. It doesn't matter how much you try. I, 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 can, I certainly know for myself, if I try, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boast. It's just I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to rob God of what he's really doing. I, uh, you, this, this, the weird thing about me in particular, I'm not quite sure about others as well, but I know for myself, God does something amazing in my life, and I'm no longer struggling with this thing, but I feel in myself like, yeah, I, I, I did that. I did that. That's amazing. Look at me. But God's next minute, God comes back down and says, um, if it wasn't for me changing you, there's no way on earth you would have been able to do that. God is the one that sanctifies. God is the one, and to him alone belongs the glory. Um, it's interesting that uh, in this Philippians passage here, um, Paul is actually praying that God gives these people this fruit. He recognizes that you can't get it for yourself. and oh, no, you, you can't do it yourself. For, so Paul's praying that this happens to them. To the uh, to the Philippians, and I, I guess a question for us to even ponder is: Are we even praying? Are we even praying that? Are we praying that God will give us the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ? Because if we do, God's going to do it, and we can count on God to do it because He's after His after His name, after the praise of His glorious name. There's nothing more amazing on earth, I think, than seeing someone. Uh, seeing God change someone's life, transform their life. And um, there's this thing in society where you would have heard the, the phrase, just people don't change. And yeah, depending on who you ask, people don't change. But then I've seen Christians who don't change, uh, non-Christians who don't change, and I've seen Christians who don't change at all, or supposedly Christians. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily true or wrong, but uh, with the way that God, that's just a fact. People... Uh, can change, but what can't change is dead people becoming alive. <laughs> That's not us. You're you're dead. You can't you can't do anything. Um, we're when we're spiritually dead, uh, when we have no affections to the Lord. How do we how do we how do we get that? God alone does that. It doesn't matter how much you try, you can't. You're dead. God does that. Um. I want to tell you a bit about my story. I grew up as a as a Christian in a Christian home. Um, uh, I'm 26 now, and I went to church pretty much all my life. Really good at really good at following the rules. Um, Christianity and Asian like culture is it's it's like a it's a spiral for legalism. Like you can be really good at stuff. Go do your homework. Okay, okay. Um, it's just exactly like that, right? All the Asian stereotypes—it's—it's it's a real deal. But like, it's the—it actually happens. But I was really, really good at doing my homework. I was really good at following the rules. I was really good at just being a nice person, nice person. Um, but back five or six years ago, um, I remember lying in bed in particular, and like this—I was just—I was really wanting to just just do rules. I just wanted to do life my own way because I thought I was good. I didn't need God. I don't need a girl. But then, weirdly, God was consuming my thoughts, and I, I remember lying there and angrily just. I actually shaked, shook my fist at the ceiling, which is, who does that? But, but I shook my fist at the ceiling and was like, yeah, I know you love me, but please go away. I, that's, the, that's the censored version of it. It might have had an F word or two there. But I told him to go away. Just leave me alone, leave me with your rules. And that's all I need. Oh, maybe if you want to give me a hot wife or like, if you want to give me a a sweet job, that'd be sweet too. Okay, see you, man. Bye. I'm out. Um, and if you think of it that, like, the audacity I would, I had towards God, like, I was a punk. If I was God, I would have zapped that fool out of his, like, out of his mind. Over. And he would have been in his right to. He would have been absolutely in his right to just kill me right there. But he spared me, and you guess and what he did? He took, I was running away from God, but he took me and dragged me back to him and made me realise that life is not about me, life is not about us, life is about him. I, I knew that God loved me, but I never really saw the depths of his love, Right? This, the depths of His love, because we, again, it's this familiarity that we get used to. God is love, God is love. The reason why God has love you is because He's motivated by His glory. And he, he, you, you see that through... Um, Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of God's love for me, his ferocious love, for his name's sake, he took someone running completely in the opposite direction and he turns me around and gives me faith to believe more in him. Gives me the will to trust more in him. He gives me the capacity to love people. I'm a really selfish person. I find it really hard to love people. And guess what? The only reason why I'm on where I, am at the, where I am at the moment is because God's done that. I can't do any of that on my own. Sometimes when I try to work out of my own strength, I'm like, man, that person is so annoying. I really don't want to love them. But God is the one who gives us, he transforms us and changes us and gives us a new heart and gives us affections for him and for people. Right? God does it all. And all I can, if I look at my transformation over the last even like five to six years, all I have left is gratitude. Which brings me to my final point tonight. God saves us for his glory. God restores us for his glory. What next? We had to live for his glory. Um, When we see God's love for us, motivated by his glory we get a sense of how much he actually loves us. All our stories are just small little stories in history, which, by the way, is corny as it is, his story. Yeah. We must view our lives as as small. We must give ourselves less credit than we enjoy. We We must give God all the credit. Um, For the Christian, uh, when we see how much God has done for us, God alone is worthy of praise, not us. And the only response in l- is to have the only proper response to really have is to have our life wrung out for the glory of God, wrung out for His kingdom, wrung out for His purposes. And in that coincidence is where you find true joy. First Corinthians ten thirty one. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. might be thinking, okay, how do, I, how do I drive to the glory of God? <laughs> how, do I, how do I talk to someone to the glory of God? How do I just do my day job to the glory of God? And um, that's a good thing to wonder, I think. Um, for everyone, it's going to look a bit different. It's not prescriptive. It's one of those things that uh, you have to look in, at your circumstances and see where God's placed you, and I think you need to be obedient where God's put you. Um, but I know that God has given us works in advance to do. Um, and all we need to do is just be faithful where he's put us. That itself is sanctifying. That alone, that itself is also glory to him. Um, but might I be as bold to even ask, are we even asking the right question? How, instead of asking how do we live to the glory of God, do all things, how do we eat, and all that stuff to the glory of God, maybe the question we should be asking is how can I see more of God's glory? Um, It's so much easier to practice gratefulness, to practice gratitude towards God when we bask and admire in his beauty, in his majesty, in his holiness, in his ferocious love for us. um, It's kind of like uh, if you are married or have a girlfriend or partner or whatever, um, you don't ask them, oh, how can I serve you today? You might ask them that. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good question. But when you look at who they are and you know uh, what they're about and you know their proclivities, their, 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 their sensibilities, their, you know um, what their tendencies are, it's so much easier to serve them than just ask them, give me a list of things to do. So I ask tonight, if you're a Christian, um, instead of asking how do we live for God's glory, really, how, we should be asking how can I see more of God's glory in my life? Because that will drive you exactly to where He wants you to be. You will see stuff that God places in front of you to do, um, where to be, where to admire His. Grace, amazing, and this is what we're made for. well. we're we're made to admire His amazing grace, to be enamored by His wondrous beauty, to be captivated by His immense immense love for us, sh- shown visibly and tangibly on that cross through Jesus, for the eternal declaration of His name. If you're a Christian tonight, not on, or not a Christian tonight, or don't, or you've, you've been in church for a while, you don't, but you really don't know God that well. Um, for the sake of His name, like God is calling you to Him. God has given Himself through us. There's there's no bigger gift than God Himself. He and He's given that already through Jesus, and He's giving that to you. God can't be more loving than that. He's given us the ultimate prize, in and outside of space time. He's given the most treasured thing to ever exist. I'm I'm asking you to consider. I'm pleading with you to consider, um, to consider God's glory, and who He is and His Majesty. Um, God's patience with you is a testimony to, to His glory itself. Like God doesn't, as I said, God doesn't need you, but He's so patient with us. He follows us. He follows us up. He pursues us unrelentingly. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.